prayer that's been brought forward by Brother Bradley. And ask that you continue to pray for me as I stand before you. Um, I came originally with intentions of sitting next to Brother Ronnie and supporting the preaching. And um, it just seemed like one was gone, and then another, and then another. Um, and so let us keep them in our prayers and all of our preachers across the nation in our prayers. Uh, we're thankful to be here and have gotten here safely this afternoon. And just pray that God, as Brother said in the prayers, that God would be glorified in his house. That's the purpose of coming to the Lord's house is not to glorify, not to glory in man, uh, but to glory in the Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. And I trust that that's where our glorying is this evening. I'll be glad one day when I can glory him like I ought to. Um, I feel like I do such a, such a poor job of trying to glorify him. And, uh, but I know one day he'll, uh, we'll, we'll be much, uh, in better, in much better shape, brother Ronnie, to glorify him for what he has done. But at this time, let us continue to pray that the Lord would be with us this evening and the things we trust are of the Lord, the things we trust that are on our hearts since uh, this morning, some things we've been looking at, and pray that they be of God. I'd like to turn your attentions uh, to begin with over in the 22nd chapter of Genesis, very familiar part of scripture and the story that is told there of Isaac and Abraham going up unto a mount that the Lord would show them uh, once they arrived into the land of Moriah. It says in the 8th chapter of that 22nd, in the, I'm sorry, the 8th verse of that 22nd chapter, it says, And Abram said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they both, so they went both of them together. They both went up there and he said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Isaac had asked him, here's the fire and here's the wood, but where's the offering? And that was the response that Isaac's father, or uh, yeah, Isaac's father gave to him. Abraham gave to Isaac. What we see here in this picture, and we uh, have a desire to look in other places in the scriptures, is the grace of God. The grace of God is essentially the, unmer uh, the, the unmerited uh, favor that God has towards an undeserving people. We're not deserving of God's grace. It's unmerited. We're undeserving of God's grace because of who we are in the Adam nature. Grace is grace. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's what gives me hope in this life. That's what causes me to rejoice is the grace of God. And what the Lord has done for me. We can see grace and that's not our main subject. But we were, we were setting a foundation here Lord willing. 
But we can see grace by three different conclusions. One of them is we can see it plainly in the Bible where there was some dissension in the 15th chapter of Acts. And he says, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the disciples that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear? But we believe by the grace of God that we shall be saved even as they. By the grace of God. How? By the grace of God. So there we clearly see, don't we, in God's word that grace has shown forth and what the, what the end result of God's grace is for us in this life. The Apostle Paul also said in the second chapter of Ephesians in verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It leaves off the boasting tongue, doesn't it? We can't boast in ourselves. We can boast in the Lord. But it stops our mouths because salvation is all of the sovereign grace of God. Everything that God has done for us, everything that God is doing for us today, and everything that God will do for us out yonder is all by the grace of God, by His unmerited favor. We see other places where the Apostle Paul told Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, remember I said one conclusion we can come to about the grace of God is it's talked about, it's, it, it's, 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 it's in God's word. He says, who hath saved us, talking about God, who hath saved us with a holy calling, not according to our works, which we have, not according to our works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy and grace. Which he hath given, but according to his purpose and grace, which his mercy and grace, which he hath given uh, us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world by the way this grace that I'm talking about dear child of God began from before time the grace that God has for us today was founded in the love that he had for us from before the foundation of the world a love that cannot be taken away thanks be to God for that you know, we can fall in and out of love in this life. People do that all the time. But not God. God doesn't fall out of love with you, dear child of God. He may fall out of love with the things that you do. With the actions that are of the flesh. With the things that are contrary to God's word. He may fall, indeed fall out of love on those things. But he will not fall out of love with you. Yea, Jeremiah said, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. We also see the examples of grace in the Bible. Not only is it clearly stated in some of the scriptures, and there's many more, but it also we see it in, in the example in, in God's word. We see in God's word where Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross and we see where two thieves were nailed one side to the other of Jesus Christ. And we see in the writings of the, of the Gospels that they were both railing on Jesus Christ. But there was a change done to one man on the cross. And he began to defend his Savior. Amen. There was a change done to him before he breathed his last. It's never too late for the, for the child of God to be born again by the Spirit of God. He's not going to miss a one. 
And we see here where he says, he turns to his Savior and he says, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. The Lord said, This day, not some day afterwards, he said, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. You know what caused the change in that, in that thief's uh, heart there on the cross? It was grace. Amen. It was the grace of God. We see over in the ninth chapter of Romans where the apostle Paul speaks through the inspiration of God and says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. He didn't do any injustice to Esau. He left Esau right where he was at. He doesn't do any injustice to those that are not elect. He leaves them right where they're at. But he loved Jacob. Why did he love Jacob? Was it because Jacob was such a good person? Surely you've read the accounts of Jacob, a subplanter. He, he was one that was full of mischief. You know why he loved Jacob? Because of grace. That's right. He loved Jacob because of grace. You know why God loves you today, dear child of God? Well, because I, there's so much good about me to love. <laughs> no, there's none good, no, not one. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. He loves you because of his grace, his unmerited favor towards you. We can see many other places. Saul on the road of Damascus with papers in his hands to try to destroy the Lord's church, to, to try to destroy the Lord's truth. You know, there are a lot of people today that would like to do that now if they could. They're out there. Don't think that they're not. But the Lord had different plans for them. The Lord had different plans for a later man called Saul, or Paul, who then was Saul. And the Lord struck him down on the road to Damascus. I believe right there we see a picture of regeneration. I believe we see a picture of when the Lord makes a change in your heart. It's not over time. It's not a gradual change. I want to tell you, when the Lord comes into your heart and changes your heart, it is instantaneously. It happens just like that in the twinkling of an eye. Why did he do that? Why did he do that to Saul? Because of his grace. Why did the Lord come to you? And quicken you out of, the, out of nature's dark night and into the marvelous light and liberty of the Lord. It was all because of the grace of God. Because of the grace of God. Because of what God has done. And then we also see grace. Not only do we see it particularly in the scriptures. Not only do we see pictures of it in the scriptures. But we also experience it in our lives. We experience it in our lives. The Apostle Paul was closing out the seventh chapter of Romans. And he said, this wasn't his conclusion. The conclusion's later on in the eighth chapter. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You know when a child of God is born again by the Spirit of God, that's not a great and glorious day for him. It is then, dear child of God, that they see the deepness of, of their depravity. It is then that they see the light is shining into their hearts and they see who they are. Paul would say, oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He goes on further. Listen to what he says in the 8th chapter 
of, of that same uh, book. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak in the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. He did that by his grace. He imparted grace upon us. So we can see in other places over in, over in, uh, in another place there in Romans, Romans chapter 3. The apostle Paul says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now listen to what he says. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. The law was never there to ascribe to righteousness. The law was there to show the depravity and, and how far removed we were from God. He goes on to say, uh, for even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified. You see, he said we're not justified by the law, but then he says we are justified. But it's not by the law. Listen to what he says. Being justified freely. Freely. By what? By his grace. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We have redemption in Christ Jesus because of what he has done for us brothers and sisters on the cross at Calvary. And we can rejoice in that. The apostle Paul also said in, in Timothy, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now I want to ask you something. When did the Lord save those when did they say, he says, he, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save. When did he save? He saved while he was in the world. He, the work was done then. He didn't set up salvation and then go back to heaven and pacing the floors of, of, of heaven hoping that you would do the right thing. No, he came for one reason and that one reason was to die on the cross at Calvary and for all of those that the Father gave him from before the foundation of the world. That's called grace, brothers and sisters. That's the grace of God in our lives. So we see these things and here in this beautiful picture in, in, in Genesis 22, we have a beautiful picture of, of Abraham and Isaac going up to the, to the mountain which the Lord had showed them. And they left the two servants behind. They went up by themselves with the fire and the wood, but they didn't have the offering. And you remember what we said, what Abraham said, my son God shall provide himself, shall provide himself, himself, himself an offering. What a beautiful picture that is, dear child of God, of our Lord and, of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ heading up to Golgotha's hill. But I want to tell you when they get up to the top, when Abraham and Isaac get up to the top and and he lays Isaac down on that altar. I want to tell you, there's a change in type there. I want to tell you, Isaac now becomes a type of us. 
It's going to be us that's going to be slain upon that altar. And I want to tell you, had it not been by the grace of God, we would have all died, uh, we would have all died and went straight to hell, just exactly what we deserve. We don't deserve any better, brothers and sisters. So if we're going to rejoice and that we're saved from hell to heaven, give all the praise to God. Amen. Praise Him for what He has done. Praise Him for His love that He has for us. It was then that the type changes. And as Abraham raises up that knife, the Lord stays His hand. It says, shows him a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Ram caught in the thicket. You know, that tells me of an everlasting covenant that God the Father and God the Son entered into, Brother Ronnie, before the foundation of the world. And they entered into that dear child of God. And I want to tell you, Isaac came off of that altar and Abraham slew that ram in his stead. In his stead. You know, when they came down, now, it didn't say he took, by the way, it didn't say he took Isaac off the altar, but he did, because that's where he, he, he switched it with the, with the ram that was caught in the thicket. You go on and read that account. When Abraham and Isaac come, comes down, do you know it just talks about Abraham coming down? It doesn't say Abraham and Isaac. We know that Abraham and Isaac came down, but it doesn't say Abraham and Isaac came down. You know, why, you know what that's a beautiful picture of? That's a beautiful picture of us in Christ on that altar. When he died, we died with him. And when he was buried, we were buried with him. And when he rose up from the grave and, and ascended into heaven, thanks be to God, we were in him legally and positionally. Isaac came down, brothers and sisters, make, make no doubt about it. But the Bible doesn't mention it. We are in Christ, a beautiful picture of the Lamb of God, a perfect Lamb of God, perfect in all ways. The Apostle Paul said in the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians, for, by one, uh, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In him. What a wonderful picture that is. What a beautiful picture that is of what the Lord has done for us there on Calvary's cross. We see, though, a word here that I want to look at. And he said, And Abraham said, My God, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. I want to look at one word in this and then go to other places. And I want to just look at that word, himself. Himself. When the Bible talks about himself in respect to Jesus Christ... The work stands alone. He did the work himself. It was himself that was the offering on the cross at Calvary. He did it himself. So many places in this world, uh, so many different religions like to say that they've got some part of salvation. That's all right if they want to be all wrong. But I want to tell you what, brothers and sisters, the Bible is clear that it's all by the grace of God and what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. If they don't understand it now, the Lord's going to have them understand it one day. Let me guarantee you that. 
They're going to understand that when they enter into the portals of heaven that salvation is all by the sovereign grace of God and not by man whatsoever. We go to a place over here in 1 Hebrews. In 1 Hebrews and carrying this word by himself, we see here 1 Hebrews uh, verse 1 or uh, well, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Don't be looking for 1 Hebrews. There's not a 1 Hebrews, by the way. So it's just Hebrews. I made that mistake. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you know you can take out that by himself and the, and the sentence still stands? It still stands? Listen to this. When he had purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You know what the Lord just did? The Lord just added some commentary. The Lord added commentary. You know, I, I like to read commentaries and, and see what some of these other people think about it, but I'll tell you the best commentary you're going to read is in the Bible. Amen. That's the best commentary you're going to read. It says, when he had, what? By himself, nobody else, purged, that's past tense. <laughs> that means it's done. That's when he did it by himself. He didn't need any help. He didn't need me. He didn't need a preacher. He didn't need a pope. He didn't need anything in this world. He doesn't need the church and the church's prayer. And he doesn't need all your money at the altar. What he, <laughs> what he, what, what he needs is us is our service to him. But I want to tell you concerning eternal salvation, he did it by himself. The work was full and complete on Calvary's cross. And other places we can go to in the ninth chapter of Hebrews... And he says here, uh, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained, there's another, I love the past tenses of the work of Jesus Christ, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of the goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more... How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, himself, without spot. You know, the world says God's offering himself to you. And you need to offer yourself to him. That's not what this scripture says, is it? You know better than that. Listen to what it says. The, the, uh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, without spot to God. He offered himself to God. He's not offering himself to us. He offered himself to God. And you know what? God was pleased with the sacrifice. Amen. God was satisfied with the offering. And we know that, praise be to God, by the grace of God, because on the third day, that tomb uh, was empty. The Lord came out of that tomb and that shows forth a satisfied God. 
One, by the grace of God that we can, we can rejoice in. He, uh, furthermore, he says in this same ninth chapter of, of Romans, in the, uh, in the, uh, in the 20s, well, let's start at the 24th verse. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are, a figure, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world. Now the end of the world is the end of that old Jewish economy. That's right. it's, it's, it's the new world, not, not law, it's grace. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away, uh, to put away sin. By the sacrifice of himself. By the sacrifice of himself. Jesus Christ did the work. And I want to tell you what that, 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 that word himself when it's concerning Jesus Christ is a beautiful picture of the grace of God. And what the Lord has done for us. You know, Paul said it so plainly in Galatians Chapter 2, he said, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live uh, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He gave himself for me. What a beautiful beautiful doctrine it is that the God of glory that the God King of kings and Lord of lords would come down here and die for you individually individually uh, the elect is there's many the Bible speaks of many, for by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. Even so, by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. There's many that's going to go to heaven. But I want to tell you what, dear child of God, he had you in particular on his mind as he hung on the cross. He loved me. Paul said, you see, Paul brings it to the personal level, who loved me and gave himself for me. What a beautiful thing that is. Listen to what he says when he closes out that second chapter. I do not frustrate the grace of God. I don't frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. You see, we're just frustrating. This world is just frustrating the grace of God by saying it's by any other means than by himself alone. They're frustrating the grace of God. We can rejoice in it, brothers and sisters, and do rejoice in it, and thank God for it. Over in Titus, he says in the second chapter of Titus in the 13th verse, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify himself, 
and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Zealous of good works. What a wonderful thing when we see that we've come from rags to riches. That we were totally depraved, out of the way. But yet God, by his wonderful, marvelous grace, loved us with an everlasting love. Quickened us by the Spirit of God. And is here for us providentially here now in this life. He is here with us now in his church. What a wonderful thing that is. That the God of all glory condescends down into his house. That he, that he comes and he fellowships with us in our lives. In our darkest moments when we need him. Because of what he has done for us. And the great love that he, that he has for us. And briefly speaking, we see the grace of God in himself and salvation which we've been speaking of what about the church in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 well start at verse 18 for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the father now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. It's not Jesus Christ and the pastor. It's not Jesus Christ and the, and the deacons. It's Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. That's right. I want to tell you, if you don't have that corner, if you don't have the cornerstones of a building laid out square, if you don't have them laid out just right, I don't care how big your house is that you build. I don't care how pretty it is. I want to tell you, it's always there, it's going to be subject to fall. But he is the chief cornerstone. You know, the Apostle Paul said over in the third chapter of 1 Corinthians that, that, he, that, you know, that he plants and, and, and Apollos waters, but it's God that gives us the increase. He said, he that planteth and he that watereth is nothing. But he, that pla- but he that giveth the increase is. Right. Talking about God. We need to lay that foundation. He said no other foundation can be laid than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation that the church ought to be laid upon. Is the foundation of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And then finally we'll close and we'll go to one place over here. And uh, Thessalonians... loves us with an everlasting love. His, his eternal salvation has been shown in the work that he has done himself who, by his grace. But I want to tell you what, brothers and sisters, he's coming back. He's not going to bring Gabriel or, or, or Michael, the archangel. Listen to what he says here. In the 16th verse of that 4th chapter, 1 Thessalonians, for the Lord himself shall descend. The Lord's coming back, brothers and sisters. Praise God. 
He's coming back, and he's not coming back to set up some literal throne here on earth. The apostle Peter says, when the Lord, after the Lord, when the Lord comes back, that this place, that the, that that these heavens are going to be burnt up, not burnt off, burnt up. It's going to be done away with, and we're going to go home to be with the Lord. But He Himself, the one that rose up from the grave. The one that died for us rose up on the cross at Calvary. He's going to be the very one that's coming back. And I want to tell you what, brothers and sisters, when he comes back, he's not going to be that little baby in the manger again. I want to tell you when he comes back, he's going to come back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's going to come back and he's going to say, Come ye blessed to my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. That's going to be what we have to look forward to, brothers and sisters. And you know why? It's because of the grace of God and what he has done for us. God bless you. I appreciate the time.